Blog Talk Radio. Hello. Welcome to Gigabit Nation, broadband talk radio. I'm your host, Craig Settles, and I want to thank everyone in the audience today for making time to be with us. Um, we are here, as we are every show, uh, providing information to help public, private, and nonprofit organizations get better broadband everywhere it needs to be in America. Uh, now, obviously, you know, part of our challenge is getting broadband to where it needs to be, but we also have to have some very serious discussions about getting use of broadband, getting broadband in the hands or the homes of people who, who really need that access to change their lives and to help change their, their community. So we try to, to, to balance both here on the show, obviously, and uh, that's you know the real part of today's discussion. And our guest for today, uh, Senator um, Linda Chesterfield from uh, the state of Arkansas, I uh, listened to her for the first time at a conference where I was doing a panel here in Memphis a couple couple weeks ago, and it was the opening to her presentation that caught my attention because she described uh, what would happen if you were trying to sell electricity to someone who had only used coal oil lamps for all of their lives, and you'd have a major disconnect between the people who are trying to uh, push the tech, uh, the electricity, whether it's for their own good, obviously, and uh, and so forth. But there's just a, a comprehension issue, and if we don't if we don't get a firm grasp of this comprehension issue with broadband, we're going to have uh, not the results we want. We're going to fall short in some way. And so what we're really going to talk about today is how do we bridge that? How do we really take this issue of availability? It's there. Uh, but talk more about how do we get the access part of the equation solved. So, again, our guest today, um, Senator Chesterfield. Senator, welcome to the show. It is a pleasure to see you, get to talk with you again, and to be on your program. Excellent. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to not steal your thunder or paraphrase your thunder from the conference, but I want you to talk about the way that you talked about it there in Memphis about this issue of, you know, people – being exposed to electricity for the first time. Well, I am of, of a different generation from perhaps many of your listeners in that I grew up at a time when coal oil lamps were the rule of the day in rural Arkansas, and people were able to gain access to the coal oil. And then we began to see our neighbors have electricity. And I know that it's just amazing to some people that it wasn't always here, but it wasn't, and so as we saw others getting electricity and began to talk about it and we saw them getting televisions and began to talk about how the electricity was used to to see television shows and we would go to their homes and look at it, then we got we got electricity and we got televisions. And until people see this as a necessity, broadband as a necessity, I see it moving sometimes more slowly because people are saying, well, is this really necessary as I choose between food, for instance, and it is a choice sometimes between food and access, is it really worth it? Mm -hmm. But in today's society, broadband accessibility is as much a necessity as electricity is because if we are not about the business of rolling this out so that every human being in every area of my state and this country and probably the world, if we aren't rolling it out and they are buying into it, then their children will be left behind. 
They will be unable to get the jobs that they need to have. They will be unable to access the information that so many people take for granted, just as many of them took electricity for granted while we were stuck uh, with coal oil. Mm -hmm. Now, one of the things that you mentioned in addition to that in, in your opening, you talked about the fear factor. You know, someone who'd only used coal oil lamps there was an actual reluctance to, to, to buy the, the technology. And, and the reason I bring this up is because I think we have a very parallel situation with broadband today. Well, many people had heard about somebody getting electrocuted or somebody getting shocked. And so when you hear these things, they take precedence over, oh, it really is really, really good, and it's really, really helped uh, my household and my community. And so... Fear enters in. Anytime things are new, people fear them. And having come through the rollout of indoor plumbing and, and electricity, I watch as that same trepidation is there. Is this really worth it? Is it going to hurt? And it doesn't help that we see the stories on television about all of the kids who have been negatively impacted by by uh, individuals taking advantage of them through the Internet. Should I have this in my home? Is this really going to be a blessing or a bane to me? And so fear precludes us finding out information. And only by overcoming ignorance with good information will we be able to continue to roll out this access that is a necessity for our children to be successful. Mm-hmm. So now, how how are things coming in in your part of the world there in in Arkansas? I mean, in terms of uh, well, let's start with uh, the the kids because typically in many places kids get and understand this technology faster than anyone else. Is that true in rural Arkansas? Oh my goodness, yes. When I want to find out something, I go to my niece or my nephew, and <laughs> they're able to to set it up for me, and they. They're trying to get me away from BlackBerry into the real world and all of this stuff. But, and I find it exciting that they're excited about something. It's their excitement that excites me. And having been a classroom teacher and now chairing the Advanced Communications and Technology Committee in the state, I have a great opportunity, a great opportunity to be a part of the bully pulpit that says we're going to get this done. When I first came to the legislature, we did not have much connectivity at all. And I was prepared when I came back. One of the reasons I wanted to chair the committee was so that we could get this rolled out to underserved and unserved areas. And I am from a small town called Hope, Arkansas, and you may have heard of it because the president of the United States, Bill Clinton, was, was born there. But mm -hmm. it is a small town, uh, and there are areas in and around there that don't have connectivity. And so one of the first things that I did as chair was to start taking the committee on the road so that they would be able to visit with individuals in rural communities because in 2014 we're going to have the common core become a common part of the education system. And common core is predicated on the idea that e-books will be in place, that children will take all of their tests via the Internet, and if Johnny i.e. or why does not have that in his or her home, they start out behind and they stay behind. So as a former classroom teacher, I thought it was imperative that we take this on the road and get people involved. The only people that were not involved were the providers, 
we had uh, Connect Arkansas at the table, and we saw where we had gotten federal grants, and we had rolled it out far greater than I knew we had, and I was very proud of that. But at the end of the day, there were still kids in rural communities that didn't have it. So I was determined, Craig, to go to those rural communities. And then I found out I'm in Pulaski County, which is supposed to be the urban center of the state, and yet right across the railroad track from North Little Rock and down the road from Little Rock, we didn't have it either. And that's my district. So I had to come back and say this is not just a rural issue. It is an Arkansas issue still. And so I began to bring providers to the table because you cannot get it done unless all of the players are at the table. And they had never been invited to be a participant at the table as we discussed the rollout further of connectivity. And I have been pushing them to think of this as an asset rather than a liability. Well, it's going to cost too much money, Linda, Madam Chair, to put this in this area, and it's going to cost too much money. I said, but just think about, of all the, the new customers you'll get. Think of all of the, of the opportunities you'll have to make more money. So we're trying to, to project that as an asset rather than a liability, which is how we've been looking at it in Arkansas. Mm-hmm. Now, do you, you stop find... me now if I begin to talk too much because I enjoy visiting. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll keep that in mind because sometimes you know, I get caught up and I forget where I am and then you know I'm in trouble. So... Does the um, does the legislature reflect the the community in the sense of uh, the the fear factor? And what I mean by that is I, I've heard over you know the last couple of years people will come in and talk about you know their state legislators, their county uh, commissioners, you know the in, that's, in essence the elected officials are tend to be older but they tend to be very fearful of broadband and so one of the biggest hurdles you know as you sort of mentioned at the outset is overcoming fear is that the case with the um you know arkansas legislature are you fighting a fear factor i'm not fighting my legislative um, colleagues on this issue Mm, they understand it what we're fighting is the fact that it's rolling out so quickly from the state department of education that we don't want our children to be negatively impacted because they don't have the access. Uh, We went to a place called Melbourne, Arkansas, and they have the connectivity at the elementary school, but not at the high school. And yet in 2014, and that's not that far away, their kids are going to have to take these tests, and they're going to have to use broadband. Is it fair to their kids to have to do this and they don't have the same opportunity as other kids do. How will it impact their children? Will they be left behind? And you know that no child left behind, even though the president and, and Arnie Duncan have made changes, it's still important that children make progress. And you've got 44 or 45 states that have signed on the Common Core, and many parents have never heard of it, but mm-hmm. it says that at the end of the day there will be a common knowledge that will be in place for all children no matter where you go. If you leave Arkansas and you go to Massachusetts, guess what? There will be a common set of, of intellectual principles that you will be have been exposed to that means that you will not be left behind no matter where you go. That's mm-hmm. noble. But they've got broadband access in Massachusetts more than they do in Melbourne, Arkansas. So what we're trying to do is to make sure that our children 
are not left behind because we have moved so quickly a pace and not brought the providers on board and brought uh, the schools on board. The schools want to do this, but the schools want to be able to do it well. And many of them are feeling that they have not been given the opportunity to to lay the tracks if they need if they need to be the ones to to uh, provide the access they're willing to pay for it but they want to be able to talk to to the providers they want to be able to talk to an AT and T or a Comcast or whatever they want to be able to talk to them and say look if it's going to cost you too much money we'll invest the money so that our kids have this access and I was just visiting with a superintendent the other day that says if it costs a million dollars. We'll find a way to get it in our budget because it's going to be worth it to our kids. That's what we're dealing with in Arkansas. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Now, was it your panel session during the summit uh, where someone mentioned that the outback of Australia has faster broadband than, than Arkansas? No, but I'm not surprised. I, I had the <laughs> opportunity to visit um, uh, Microsoft, and um, it was just fascinating to see all that's going on. But India has more access. And as I told them, I'm not prepared to talk to you until you're prepared to tell me that you are going to help us increase our capacity. And it's one thing to have capacity because all of our our, our medical institutions are hooked up and our public inst- public colleges and universities are hooked up, but not all of, ours, all of our schools are. And so I'm trying to look at that model and to push us to the point where we get that done. Now, how that happened without including K-12 education, which is critical to uh, good health and health care, critical to higher ed, I don't know because I was not in the chamber at that time. But I'm pushing for it, and I'm, I'm meeting with superintendents, and we're working together collaboratively to try to make this happen because everybody wants to be competitive economically, educationally, uh, health wise can't do that unless you have broadband. Mhm. Interesting. Now, I guess the first well, okay, we talked about the fear factor, getting getting people over the hurdle. But how uh, well actually and you mentioned it though, the thing about um folks willing to find the money. How how is that working? Because in so many places, you know, the big barrier is the lack of money, and people not willing or not able to find money to to pay for the infrastructure. Are, are you are you saying that there's a greater willingness among um, community leaders to to find money than there may be in other places, or or, or how are you bridging that gap? Well, some of the uh, communities, especially in the Delta, have come together and formed. Uh, where they have co-ops that serve various school districts, they have formed co-ops that allow them to share broadband. Um, uh, In a little place outside of of Little Rock, uh, that individual has been putting aside money as a superintendent so that he would be able to offer to the provider um, that monetary um, assistance that would be needed to lay the the, uh, broadband uh, so that they would be able to connect it to their schools. You have the willingness to do, but we've got to start working more closely together. There is still a disconnect, I think, between providers and schools, the Department of Ed and its schools, because while you're moving a pace and it makes us look real good nationally, because we're farther along on our planning 
than many school districts across across the country. But if we don't have our children connected, all of that stuff on paper may look real good, but reality begins to set in and our children will suffer if they are not able to compete in the atmosphere that the State Department wishes it had. And so it's going to require the governor, it's going to require the legislature, it's going to require the providers, the school districts, and all of us working collectively. I think the will is there on behalf of most of the players, but we're going to have to have this cry for electricity that we had in the past for broadband. Mm -hmm. Proud Mm -hmm. to say that we've had uh, many of the individuals who are working have come together to provide more affordability which was one of the main issues. Uh, I know Comcast provides um, service for nine ninety five a month, predicated on, uh, on the income level of the individuals. What a wonderful thing, because mm-hmm. for many people it's $40, $50, and they can't afford that, but they are providing nine ninety five. We have school systems that are refurbishing used um, computers, and rebooting them and, and, and fixing them up so the children will have access that way and parents can pay for this uh, and it costs much less. Uh, you've had some providers who have done the same thing and kids who would not ordinarily have been able to afford a computer can now get a computer. Mm-hmm. Uh, so people are really working and it's so exciting to see but we have a long way to go. And so I would be remiss if I didn't say it, but as we move apace in this direction, I'm continuing to use the bully pulpit to say you got to have the idea that the more people we have on board with this, the greater the asset to the companies that are providing rather than the greater the liability. And I think therein lies our problem. Mm-hmm. It should not continue to be a problem, but Arkansas is still not where it needs to be, and I'm not going to be satisfied. I'm not going to be cheering this time uh, because the uh, Republican Party has become the majority party, mm-hmm. and the majority party on, it only gets to chair those committees that uh, uh, of that of that sort. But I am on the committee, and I do have a wonderful working relationship with the chair. And so I'm going to continue to espouse the need to get more and more people to the table and to continue to push for this because we don't want children suffering from a digital divide unnecessarily. And if they are behind digitally, unfortunately many times they stay behind. So it's Mm -hmm. time for us to get up, get out of the way, get things going. Which sounds like you are definitely doing, and uh, which which is definitely good. One of the things I wonder, uh, do you have within the state, is there some one either individual or group that is both leading the charge but also um, getting people onto the same page, meaning not having, say, a 100 separate actions, you know, kind of going in the same direction, but is there someone or something that pulls all of this together? Well, we had legislation that created Connect Arkansas, Mm -hmm. which has done a marvelous job uh, of of doing that. You met Marie Bruno at the conference. Mm -hmm. Marie Mm -hmm. and her group, um, Sam Walls, they have done a fantastic job of 
Oh, it, it's just amazing. I was out of the legislature for two years because I had to wait for, for the term limits of somebody else. And where we were when I left and where we are now is just absolutely remarkable. So let me say that. We now have a wonderful division of information services working with Connect Arkansas. Our college is on our run. And now it is time for our committee uh, to to take that lead uh, and bring all of them together. And we have brought people to the table. Uh, Representative Patterson, who is my co-chair, and I have made sure that people are at the table uh, when we have legislative hearings. But I am just so proud of Connect Arkansas, Sam Walls-Marie. I'm proud of, uh, of our uh, Department of Information Technology with Claire Bla- Bailey. Nobody's acting like this is just all my stuff. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's that's, that's just really good, good to see. It's mm-hmm. like we're rooting for each other, and wherever we can work together. And recently, we brought the Aron Group on, which deals with our colleges and universities. So they had not been at the table before. Representative Patterson and I have been determined to bring all of the players. We invited um, the um, providers in to the table. They hadn't been at the table. They had been just acting as lobbyists rather than as uh, important participants in this process. We mm-hmm. had a great conference where we all came together, colleges, universities, K-12, through legislators, providers, uh, Connect Arkansas, our run, um, as well as the Div- Division of Information Technology, and it was just exciting. But one of the things that I told them as the chair is we've got to get past this is mine and talk about this is ours. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, sometimes we think in terms of my rather than our. And I, whereas Connect and uh, Information Technology and our, have all worked together, my heart is not to crack steel as our providers, who are territorial, I understand it, but I do believe that they have the greatest interest of the state at heart and feel welcome at the table. And mm-hmm. we had them as presenters at our, at our last meeting before they've just been participants. But it was time for them to share their story and talk about what they're doing. And it's amazing some of the things that they're doing now as opposed to what they were doing when I was out of the chamber before. So mm-hmm. I'm excited about it. I, I really am, and I think we're, we're off to a good start. Uh, we're going to bring – we brought in the Department of Education, and they need to know that we need to, we need to have – a plan in place for these kids who may not have who may not have the connectivity by the time we roll out this common core. Mm-hmm. What is your what is your alternative plan? What are you going to do so that Johnny is not left behind? Right. And that's going to be what we have to demand from them. Well, we're not going to use books in the future. Well, if you don't have access to the ebook, then what are the kids going to do? Right, right, right. So now let's look at this. Um, Shift just a bit. So you've you've got Connect Arkansas, you've mm-hmm. got uh, an effort that's that's driving the an increase in participation by uh, the private sector and the various state agencies, and all all of this is well and good. By the way, this is because uh, those seem to be the dividing lines. You know, there is you know the incumbents sit over here, and the state legislature sits over there, and you deal with the lobbyists going from one to the other, and all of that. Now, how do you incorporate? the um the parents and others in the community uh it, it was interesting that you mentioned Massachusetts because uh one of my frequent uh, uh, audience members here is is someone who's from 
Massachusetts, who mentions that you know the biggest problem is they've they've wired the institutions, but they don't have the homes connected, and people are still are still struggling with that. How do we bridge the home part? That I think is the hardest part because I don't think we've had enough parental involvement. We took the committee on the road so that we could first hear from those who who were providing um, the education component because to me that was what was critical because you're talking about in a year and a little bit. Uh, But we have not done enough to engage the public, the parents who are going to have to do this. But parents did come to me when they saw that we were talking about rural areas and my constituents in Pulaski County came to me and said, but what about us? We don't have it either. That's how I knew, you know, you began to assume because you live here and you live in Little Rock, Arkansas, and I know it may not be the uh, great metropolitan area uh, to everybody else, but it is our metropolitan center. And my constituents were saying, but we don't have it either. Mm -hmm. So what are we going to do? And so I began to talk to providers, and I began to, to have hearings here. But the one thing we've got to do, and I'll suggest to uh, Senator Sample, is we need to take it on the road. We need, because in some places, when we meet, we're the only show in town for the newspaper or the television station, and we Mm -hmm. can begin to engage parents. It's a much more difficult task, and I'm not sure how it's going to be done except through the bully pulpit. But it is, I think, the greatest element that's missing is to engage those parents and to to implore them to become advocates for their children. Mm-hmm. And um, now I have an assumption, and you can tell me if it's true or not. Um, you know, you mentioned at the beginning we talked about uh, getting people educated and getting them past the fear factor. When you go to um, elderly folks or folks who have not been engaged with technology, is Using the example of, you know, these are things we can do with our kids to move them forward, does this drop some of that fear factor and does it drop some of that reluctance to get involved by uh, parents and and, and, an older population? I think it does. Uh, They themselves may not want to be bothered with it, Uh but I have noticed that parents, regardless of socioeconomic status, cuts across all racial lines, want whatever is best for their kids. And uh, my niece who goes to school in Texas, I was, going, I was buying each of them computers. We probably couldn't afford to do that, but I thought it was just imperative that we do for those who could not afford it themselves. And so there was like three computers out of our pockets. Mm-hmm. But my husband and I thought it imperative, not for us, but for them to have that kind of access. And so that's what we did. And the teacher had told them, your child's not going to be able to be successful here unless she has a computer. Well, if you tell that to a parent, guess what? Whether it's the parent who can afford it or someone in the family who can help, we're going to find a way to do what we need to do to make kids successful. Mm -hmm. And I think that our example is just the same as everybody else around here. When you tell us that you got to have it for your kids to be successful, we're going to find a way to do that. And in some places, small towns, they're having um, schools are staying open late so that they can act as centers for children who don't have the broadband at their home. Problem is, there are some children who are on the road um, an hour getting back and forth to school, don't have transportation to 
a neighborhood school because the neighborhood school concept is quickly dying in parts of Arkansas. Uh, and so you have kids who may live in Lake Village and can't get to – well, Lake Village is a bad example because they would have a school there, but we have Lakeview where kids don't have a chance to get to a school or they travel a long distance to get to school and therefore can't come back. They don't have parents who have the transportation that could get them back, and they don't have the access. So that's one of the biggest problems that we have. Uh, but we have found that parents, if they're told that a child has got to have this in order to be successful, parents go out of their way and families go out of their way to help parents to get what is needed for their kids. So uh, they may not need it, but I've seen a number of my friends uh who are on Facebook and just enjoy it because they don't have the trans they aren't driving uh or, or and stuff like that, so they're using Facebook to connect to their friends. Mm-hmm. So they're finding uses for it that they hadn't thought of before and they're LinkedIn or their Facebook you know, they find somebody they like and they visit with them. So they're beginning to find uses for it and I think as more and more individuals of all age groups find use for it then it's going to become like electricity. It's going to become common in the households across the state and across this mm-hmm. country. Now, in 2009, we had the big stimulus program, which included broadband stimulus. Lots of money went to building infrastructure, particularly at the institution level. You know, we wired up the institutions. Point we, you and I, we made at the beginning of the show. Um, now we face the issue uh, of, you know, we've got this connectivity to an institution, to a library, whatever. Mm-hmm. How do we bridge the last bit? I mean, what can the federal government do, uh, especially since it looks like it'll be hard to get another, you know, 6 or $7 billion from the government for broadband initiatives? Um, what can the government do from at least a policy perspective or, again, maybe the bully pulpit of the federal government to um, to bridge this gap between what's referred to as the middle mile, you know, that stuff that goes to the institutions, and the last mile, which is the part that comes into people's homes? The president continues to talk about the need to prepare young people uh, with 21st century skills and the importance of education. And at the heart of education today is connectivity. So I'm sure that he is going to do what he can, but what is difficult for us here in this state is the disconnect between the federal government and the state. And there are individuals who still don't trust federal government. Now, we're willing to take some things from the federal government. We're fighting right now whether or not we will expand health care uh, for 250,000 people, and yet we have the capacity to use our hospitals to connect to community providers that will allow them to um, look at these individuals who've never had health care before and be paid for it and therefore uh, increase the amount of economic activity in that area as, in, as well as increase the health uh, benefits to all of those communities. And so until we do away with this fear of the federal government overstepping its bounds, you know, we want small government. Uh, And so as I look at that, that's all well and good, but this state does not have the capacity financially to do all of that while we're fighting other things. 
But at the same time, we're one of the few states that continues to increase funding for education. And perhaps um, since we're doing that, we can use some of that state education increase to increase the capacity. And maybe it won't flow from the federal government, but will indeed flow from the state level. So Mm -hmm. that's the only thing. Perhaps we can begin to look at broadband connectivity as a part of the facilities um, that our schools and our children have access to. And if we can do that and, and, and rethink or shift the paradigm that way, we can get something. But I'm not sure how much we can expect from the federal government. Mm-hmm. Uh, the president talks about it. His education agenda, I think, is a wonderful one. We used the monies that came in to hook up, 50, up 57 of the 75 counties here in the state of Arkansas. So I know that it works. I just need to know that we're going to accept that money. And we have been reluctant to accept the um, Affordable Care Act money. So I don't know where we are. This is unique for me. Mm-hmm. And so I'll have to wait and see uh, what we're going to do. Now, yesterday on uh, my, on my show, I had some folks talking about, you know, the use of the Internet in the governing process, right? Because they were the, the primary topic yesterday was about using technology in campaigning. But then I said, well, at a transition point, you got to look at how to use that technology in, in the governing aspect, you know, running the operation of government. And this sort of wild idea came up. I don't know if it's wild or not, but it definitely was unconventional, which is you've got <clears throat> all of these churches uh, across the, the country that all are tax exempt, which basically means they generate a fair amount of benefit because they are tax exempt, but they have facilities. I mean, we we often go there to vote, you know, and and so forth. Well, why not have some sort of policy or tax policy that basically requires those organizations and other nonprofits? I mean, basically those entities that are getting a government subsidy by virtue of being a nonprofit to have some sort of requirement to contribute to broadband infrastructure in some way. And well, then you get into First Amendment where there is a separation of church and state. And when you start talking about demanding that churches do things, we, we run smack dab into that uh, the Establishment Clause. And I don't think right. that's a good place to go, but we could ask them to do it. Many of our churches still act as Sunday schools. Mm-hmm. Many of them provide summer schools. Many of them have uh, great capacity themselves. Rather than demanding it, we could ask it of them. How many of you uh, would be willing to provide after-school programs? And we have numerous churches that do that. And uh, we have not utilized them, I don't think, as much as we can. But we can't demand it, uh, but we can ask it. And in doing so, they are willing to help those parishioners and people outside of of their their church family to -hmm. come in and to help them because that's a part of the mission of the church, is to help others. And so I see this as a grand way of doing it. And uh, we use, here in Arkansas, there are several um, bloggers who provide us with church information and provide churches with information. And so they're into the age of it. It's just that we have not utilized them as much as we can Mm -hmm. to further this thing along, because I think that they are an integral part of what has to happen in the community. And as the church goes in many communities, so goes uh, the community. So Mm -hmm. it's there. 
the opportunities there. It's just a question. I mean, does it come then back to the line uh, along the lines of faith-based initiatives, which um, love them or, or 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 hate them? The con- the concept, at least initially, was um, you know the government can't do the enti- can't carry the entire burden of helping everyone in need, but can we figure out a way to do some sort of faith-based solution? And like I said, that's a that gets tricky too because people have all kinds of issues with that. But conceptually, you know, should we be looking at at least at maybe a possibility of something along that lines? Well, for me, faith-based initiatives are in two categories. One, those faith-based initiatives, easy for me to say, yes, faith-based <laughs> initiatives that that uh, have that consume government dollars. That's one faith-based initiative. Mm-hmm. The other faith-based initiative is that which comes from the pulpit itself and from the parishioners themselves who say, this is a part of our mission. We don't need the government to give us money. We think that this is something we should do because it will make life better for those whom we serve. Mm-hmm. And so as far as the first, sometimes that works. But we get into then what we what that particular uh, religious entity can do and what it cannot do. And that's where we have most of our friction. But when we use the bully pulpit, I'm a member of a church. Most of our legislators are members of congregations of some sort. If we decide to use that bully pulpit, if the governor decides to get on the air and say to um, to ministers and other providers around this state, we need your help, I think they would be there. And it does not require the government then stepping in and saying, this is how you got to do it. We just want you to help us do it. Those are the, that's the dynamic I think that we've got to look at, mm-hmm. not the faith-based initiative that requires federal funding, but the faith-based initiative that requires us to do this because I believe as we help the least of these, my brethren, we have done it unto Jesus. I believe that that is a part of our Good Samaritan role, a part of our Golden Rule role. And so those, that's the difference, and I think if, as long as we're looking at it uh, differently, mm-hmm. and I think most of the time as we look at faith-based initiatives, we think of those that require federal funding, and I don't happen to think that that's, that's necessary all the time. Right, okay. So, so, so somewhat of a clearer way of uh, addressing this. Let me ask you another um, question. One of the um, federal policies that I have been somewhat – uh, critical of mainly for its execution, not the process itself, but the Lifeline program. So, so the Lifeline program is basically a uh, $10 a month subsidy for someone to guarantee that they have basic phone access. I mean, that was what its original purpose was. We are now in the 21st century, and everyone's really has come to accept that. Well, you know, the the, the telephone access in concept last century was good, but you know. But it's really about communication now. And communication now is the telephone and it is the the Internet. It's broadband. So now the, the FCC is talking about um, modifying the program to address broadband. My contention is that $10 a month per person doesn't buy you a lot when it comes to broadband. I don't care how you slice it or dice it. It just doesn't buy you a lot. Now, Comcast has made it easier because they have their Internet Essentials program, and that gives you some basic access, but there's all these strings attached to it. My contention is if we were to give, say, the community 
the county, the town, whatever, that amount of dollars, in other words, they have a certain eligibility based on who would, uh, would, who would uh, qualify for Lifeline. And we say take that money in aggregate and find some serious broadband solutions. Might that be a better solution that would produce better results than giving out a bunch of, you know, in essence, $10 subsidies that aren't really that much at the individual level? I'm not really sure because I haven't thought about it. Um, I haven't thought about it in the aggregate. Mm-hmm. I just try to deal with one person at a time. Right. And I, Makes sense. And being in a state that is sparsely populated in some areas and greatly populated in another, I'm not sure how well it would work. It would work in our urban centers. But if you're in a small town or you're in a small area that is not close to a town, mm-hmm. but you got kids who travel an hour to school, um, have nothing. We even thought about putting on school buses computers so the kids would be able to do their homework on the way home and uh, and on their way to school. Mm-hmm. Of course, they got shot down, but we knew that they were going to be traveling for hours. We knew that they were not going to be able to get back to school and take advantage of the library and use it like other kids would use it because they live so far away. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure uh, as we look at the individual as opposed to the aggregate how it would work because I haven't seen it. And, you know, when you haven't seen something, sometimes the imagination doesn't work as well. <laughs> but how do you deal with the individual who is in an isolated area um, what what do they do? Uh, mm-hmm. Because there is no aggregate if you're in certain parts of this state. Right, and I guess that's basically what has led to taking kids and transporting them an hour or two hours away. Right. Uh, uh, and people, yeah. think people, you know, we, we got so efficient that we closed down small school districts because of economy of scale. But at the same time, we have kids who are isolated who have roads that are impassable in certain ti- at certain times of the year. Uh, they're crossing mountains and valleys, and in some states they've just left them where they are. But you've got to deal with all of that as we deal with the access piece, and that's what's so, that's what's so difficult. That is what is so challenging. Uh, I don't think it's an impossibility because those same kids have electricity, <laughs> and that's where the phone service, no matter how archaic it was, that's where the dial-up gave them an opportunity at access. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't about just getting rid of all dial-up because if it gave me a chance to have DSL service, it may not be uh, the quick service that we might want, but it was service. And that's what's hurting us sometimes in these smaller areas. So I don't know. I haven't thought about it enough to just be intelligent but I know that it's a challenge to just say, well, let's ditch it and start all over again. So. Mm-hmm. Eh, well, no, I agree. But, oh, by the way, uh, yeah, someone, uh, one of our, another one of our um, audience members brought up this idea of Wi-Fi on the bus, and you just mentioned that an idea mm-hmm. to try to get computers on the bus didn't didn't go over very well. What was it that was the 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 that held that that idea back? It may have been ahead of its time. Um, we did that about four years ago, and then we tried it again, I think, in that last session. We came together as an African-American community 
and we were talking about those things that would make a difference for African-American kids, especially those in areas that were hard to reach because much of the consolidation of schools centered around poor schools and schools that were predominantly African-American serving. And so we were trying to think what could we do in order to make it possible for the kid who has to go 20 miles home on on dirt roads, uh, well, not necessarily dirt roads, but, you know, two-lane drives that made for a long trip uh, for those kids. And, you know, you're dropping off kids over here, and you're dropping them off, and by the time they get home, they've been on a bus for an hour and a half, two hours. And so we thought it would be a neat idea. I didn't even thought about Wi-Fi at the time. And maybe we ought to be talking about making um, it Wi-Fi accessible. And that would that would solve a lot of the problems, but it just got shot down because people thought it was a flaky idea, hmm, and we thought it was really a great idea. But it's it's like dragging people along. It's like dragging them along when we were talking about uh, pre-K. Arkansas has a great pre-K program for three and four year olds called Arkansas Better Chance. Mm-hmm. Some folks thought that we were trying to usurp the role of the parents, but there were so many kids whose parents couldn't afford daycare that we had to point out to them when kids start out behind, they stay behind. Therefore, we pay more on the back end than we would on the front end. And so maybe it's time for that to come back again Mm -hmm. and have that accessibility that may not be as expensive as the idea of putting computers on the board. They were just envisioning kids taking those computers and taking them home with them, destroying them on the bus, you know, and all of that stuff. But um, it's still an idea worth, worth looking at. Mm-hmm. So are there no programs where kids are given uh, laptops or some sort of computers as part of the uh, curriculum? There are school districts that do have that, but it's not universal. Uh, so, okay. Um, it's, it's expensive, but some of them, in an attempt to uh, meet the needs of uh, Common Core, had begun to purchase those and give them to the kids. And then there were school districts that made sure that every child had access to a computer at school, if not at home. And they'd begun to make those investments. And then they found out that the screen capacity was not what they were going to have to have. And then all of that was coming at me. We bought all this stuff, and we bought it in good faith. And now they're telling me that the screen has got to be 10 inches rather than 9.5 inches. And so we had to work with that as well. So it's been... uh, it's been an experience. Mm-hmm. It's been truly an experience because I'm I'm a first termer, right? Uh, and I am an individual who believes that you have to learn and grow, right. learn and grow. And so this has just been a marvelous experience for me. And it's been great to have people call me and just say, "This is what's going on with me. Mm-hmm. What can you do to help me?" Mm-hmm. We've been able to get broadband in some areas simply by visiting with a provider. Uh, talking about a provider of last resort is something that we talked about perhaps pushing in this next legislative session. Nobody else will do it, and this is going to be the person that's going to be the provider for that area. So we're just looking at a number of things, and we've got to see if we can draft legislation that would allow us to continue to grow and also to work collaboratively. Mm -hmm. Now, you mentioned earlier there are a number of co-ops popping up. Uh, to try to address some of this issue. Is it possible that you could incorporate a co-op network, if you will, into and by network, I'm as in a network of co-ops, you know, kind of unified into some legislation that would um, uh, would allow you to kind of move that ball forward? 
I haven't thought about it. Uh, it's worth looking at. And uh, what I found was so interesting is the co-ops that we already have in place, education co-ops, decided then I think that they would work not only with the, with the school districts that they were serving as a co-op, but also to come together with other co-ops that are serving various school districts so that they would have the leverage to to get more broadband. Mm-hmm. They use their E-rate more efficiently than others did and uh, therefore were able to provide greater access for the individuals whom they serve. I think that there are models out there that we can use. Um, we've got to study it a little bit more, visit with folks a little bit more about why it was successful, why did this work over here and not over here, and see what we can't do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I can only now suggest I can't sit. And um, as the chair, it's always easier to say, this is what we're going to do. <laughs> right. <laughs> I know exactly what you And now I've got to suggest that this is something we might want to do. Uh-huh. And uh, it's going to be fun uh, finding, a, you know, shifting paradigms, finding a way to work that which we think is important, and trying to get others to see that uh, what we think is important is important to them as well. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the things uh, you know you might want to consider, and our audience in general, on on Tuesday of this week, the show was devoted to uh, co-ops, discussing uh, how they make sense, why they make sense, and so forth. And then the the guest that day uh, was the general manager of a telephone co-op that had expanded into broadband, which we sort of say, well, that's probably the easier way to go because telephone services and Broadband services are, are similar, you know, they're, they're, they're communication uh, services. But then we started talking about uh, other utilities, um, I'm, I'm sorry, other co-ops. And he said, well, you know, if they have a partner, so like you talked about the education co-op, so if they had a partner that was a private sector company, regional, local, whatever, that that could make a big difference. And I, I point this out mainly as, you know, saying that people probably should go and, and listen to that discussion on co-ops, and we will have another one, uh, actually, since that session had to get cut short. But, you know, to look at the co-op strategy, because on one hand it kind of eliminates some of the political issues, right? Uh, states have Different states have laws that prohibit uh, municipalities from getting involved, and that's a barrier of sorts. But on the flip side, you know, co-ops have been around since forever, and and you have different types of co-ops. And by default, or how people describe a co-op, because we had a guy on Monday that, that said, you know, a co-op is basically bringing services that no one else will bring, that last resort that you talked about. And so, you know, maybe just just take this thinking that you guys are on or that you're on and expand it to say, look, let's let's look at a, you know, an ideal situation – all of our co-ops are tied together in one uh, mutual network, and one of the requirements is to facilitate, if not directly deliver, broadband services in those hard-to-reach areas and see what happens from that discussion and what kind of legislation might flow from that. Is sort of, this is my idea for the day. It's Friday. It's late, but, you know, my, my two cents into the, you know, into the mix that you might want to, to, to knock around a little bit as an idea. Well, a lot of those co-ops... Um deal with with some form of energy or, 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 or commerce. And being on the, being chair of the Energy Committee this coming session, we could look at those energy co-ops and as well as uh, the education co-ops and see what we can learn from them so that we can move apace with that um, and perhaps provide that IT co-op that we need to have or that broadband co-op. Sounds like a good idea. 
Cool. Uh, and just hope that you'll continue to stay in contact with me and give me more ideas. No worries. No worries. Proper that to. is uh, proper that is possible legislation or interim studies that can move this conversation along mm-hmm. uh, because it's got to be done. And one of the things that we talked about uh, that I talked about with one of our uh, superintendents was to also bring on board the business community in the in the area of service and see what we could not do cooperatively mm-hmm. uh, to make it possible for the school district to get what it needs to help the children and to help the community at large. It cannot be just about, as you said, uh, just the players that we have at the table now, but it's time to talk to the Chamber of Commerce. It's time to talk to business leaders ar- across the state and see what they can do so that their community is at, is on the cutting edge so that they can attract industry to that particular community. And so as we expand um, the players, we expand the opportunity for our communities. Mm-hmm. And another thing to throw into the hat there, you know, to consider is Internet 2. And um, it's a uh, it's somewhat complex to, to explain in a nutshell. Uh, my my recommendation is to Google it and and find out a little bit more about it and and see how that also may play into the uh, big uh, the big picture. And we have two other um, let's see at a national level there is the Air U, which is an organization. So it's a a i r dot u the letter u, um, but it's a group. Um, that is looking at partnering with universities to bring broadband into rural communities. And they're, I'm not sure what phase they're at now. They were also a guest on the show several months ago. But the idea was that they were trying to create partnerships with a vision toward using university resources to then reach out to the surrounding areas and bring people on board. And uh, you know, and that might be an option. It might even be an inspiration for additional ideas to kind of to implement at the state level. And then finally, there is U.S. Ignite, which is another coalition of folks working at a national level, working to again get people engaged in conversations and in partnerships. Most importantly, to uh, to tackle this issue. Uh, of, of trying to bring things together. Um, now, we've got about five minutes. There's one topic I did want to touch on, which is um, – let me, let, me, let me leave that one. Let me talk about – you and I discussed getting people to become producers versus consumers of technology and, and the output. And, and we got into, you and I got into this discussion for the benefit of our audience while we were waiting for the show to start and the idea being that you know it's one thing to get people on board that they're using the technology and yes they can use it to advance but we also have to be in a position to to create to the production of you know stuff services or products or whatever based on that technology I'd like to hear your thoughts on that I think it's imperative and as you and I were visiting when we look at the great talent that is in this state and in this nation. You see young people beginning to be the next Steve Jobs or whomever, and they don't have to start out being great, great producers, but many producers, and many producers become maxi producers. And then you reach behind and you pull somebody else along. We've got to make it possible for them to access the information that will allow them to become the producers. Um, I'm very proud of our technical schools here in Arkansas. 
We have a technical high school here. Those entities are growing, and I can just see young people now creating apps, creating um, uh, infrastructure changes that will facilitate learning for themselves and, and making them become a part of the entrepreneurial process that is this country. But if we think everybody's going to start out being just making multi-million dollars, some folks might. Who knows? But if they can become many producers and then build on that, then they can become maxi producers, and they too then can reach back and help somebody else. Um, I just think the possibilities are so great. And let me say at the outset uh, that I appreciate you and uh, I appreciate Marie and Claire and Sam and the providers in Arkansas and my, my uh, fellow legislator, Representative Patterson, because they've taken the time to make me grow as a person. And when one comes into public service, if one is not willing to listen and only to talk, then you miss the opportunity to grow as a person and to also help your constituency grow and to help your state grow. So I've been truly blessed. I want to be a producer of ideas and as well as someone who listens to those who have produced ideas. And I think collectively when we look at the producing and the taking, then we are better persons for it. I thank you for what you do. I thank the individuals in the state of Arkansas who have allowed me to serve and to also help me grow so that I could talk to a Craig Settles on the radio and not hopefully sound like a blithering idiot. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, you definitely did not come across that way. I mean, it's, it's um, you know, there's a lot of uh, good down-home value. Uh, I, I know there's a better word for it, but you understand what I'm saying. You know, it's like that, that salt-of-the-earth kind of um, value that people bring to a discussion, and that's kind of where I feel this has started from, you know, sitting there listening to you initially. And, you know, and from political leaders, especially at the state level, I think there is more of this needed. And I hope that, you know, I know that you guys are only in for two terms and then, you know, you're you're out. But there are ways to collect that creativity and the ideas and the programs and so forth as you go along so that the next generation, if you will, of leaders or of legislators can tap into that. So I, I definitely see, you know, there's there's great good that we have we have tapped into, and it's un- it's unfortunate, but we're at the end of our our time here. And the little computer voice in the in the in the background of my headset is saying it's time to to wrap it up. So we are going to wrap it up, but I want to thank you, Senator, for all of your your input and your thoughts, and you know, and allowing me to actually introduce some ideas to the discussion as well. It's all been very valuable for our listeners, and I really appreciate it. Thank you, and continue to keep up the good work. Thank you, and y'all have a great uh, weekend. All of my listeners, uh, next week I'm probably going to, it's a short week, and I'm probably going to take a break because I've done a show every day this week, and my brain is weary. So, <laughs> you know, I'm just going to encourage you to, you know, tell others about the show. We put together five really good shows this week, including this show today. And so get people, you know, engaged with the the content Let's get engaged with each other in the in, in the discussion and the discourse on broadband. And, you know, as is our mission, let's try to get broadband every place it needs to be. So have a great weekend, everybody. Uh, we'll talk to you again soon. <laughs>